0: invite all of the kids to come up a little bit closer to your computer screen and to pay a little extra attention for this moment. I'm going to stay standing because I'm going to teach you a song. I know that some of you participated in Camp We, which is, um, was our Vacation Bible School week this past week. I grew up going to Vacation Bible School in the summer, too, and I loved it. I especially loved the teenagers who would help. And I especially, especially loved the music part when we would learn fun songs about the Bible and about God and Jesus. And one of the songs that I learned in Vacation Bible School was called Father Abraham. Does anybody else here remember Father Abraham? Yep, I see some hands back there. So I'm going to show you how it goes. Father Abraham had many kids. Many kids had Father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. So let's all praise the Lord with the right. Father Abraham had many kids, and many kids had Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, and then you keep going with a right and a left and a right and a left and a turnaround. So does anybody else want to do this with me? We're going to do it all together, ready? Father Abraham had many kids, and many kids had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Yay! Thank you all so much for helping me with that. So next time we're all together, maybe in Sunday school later on, we can all sing that together. I'll come to the big group time, and we'll sing it together but now you can teach it to your family. One of the things that that song teaches us is that we're all part of one big family. This summer we're gonna be hearing stories about Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau and all of these people who were part of one big family, God's family, and now I am one of them, and so are you. We're all part of God's family. Isn't that wonderful? Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you so much that we're all part of one big family and that you love all of us and want us to love each other. As we hear the story today and as we hear these Bible stories through the summer, Help us to know there are stories too and we can learn from them and most of all, learn about you and how much you love us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. I have all sorts of wonderful memories about Vacation Bible School and learning Father Abraham and growing up in the church being in church every Sunday and Sunday school on Sunday mornings, being part of the youth group and part of the Bible studies on Wednesday nights with the youth group. And yet in all of my years of growing up in the church and hearing the stories of the Bible and the sermons on Sunday morning, I don't know that I had ever heard the story of Hagar until I was in seminary. I had learned about Abraham and Sarah and sort of knew they had a son named Isaac and from Isaac it was Jacob and then the twelve sons and that was the birth of the nation of Israel. I think I remembered enough of that and I thought that was basically the story of Genesis. But then I found myself in a class in seminary studying liberation theology and we started looking at some of these ancient texts and lo and behold. There was a whole other story in the Abraham saga. Abraham didn't just have one son named Isaac, he had two sons, and the other was named Ishmael. It was a story that had just been on the margins, and I had never heard it before. We hear Hagar's story in two installments in the book of Genesis. Part 1 is in chapter 16. Part 2 is the part that Kay read for us in chapter 21. In chapter 16, we find Abraham and Sarah still without a child. It had been years since God had made that first promise that Abraham would be the father of a great nation. And Sarah and Abraham were still waiting and waiting years later. And so in chapter 16, Sarah takes matters into her own hands. It wasn't really clear in the promise that Sarah would be the mother of Abraham's child. And so she takes a woman named Hagar, an Egyptian woman who is enslaved by Abraham and Sarah. And the verbs in the story are very coercive. She takes Hagar and she gives her to Abraham as a wife And Hagar has a child by Abraham, a son. And Hagar doesn't behave perfectly well either in chapter 16. As soon as she has a son, she begins to look upon Sarah with scorn. And so Sarah gets angry and jealous and makes Abraham throw Hagar and her infant son out into the wilderness. But God finds Hagar and brings her back into the fold of Abraham and Sarah. Now, I'm not going to go into too much more detail into part one, because what we heard is part two, and I want to focus more on part two. What happens in part two is that Ishmael, the son of Hagar and Abraham, has grown. He's probably in his early teens. And Sarah has finally also given birth to a son. And they've named him Isaac. And Sarah looks over one day and sees Ishmael and Isaac playing together. The Hebrew is a little unclear. It could be that Ishmael is playing with Isaac or teasing Isaac. It's not quite clear. But whatever it is, she gets angry and jealous and says, the son of Hagar will not inherit alongside my son. And so once again, she coerces Abraham and tells him to send Hagar and her son away out into the wilderness. And I hear this story and I think, Abraham and Sarah have been my heroes in the faith. And here we see them taking and using this woman's body to produce a son and then sending her and the little boy out into the wilderness to die. I don't know how to process this information. Now that I know this other story, What do I do with that? It reminds me of a feeling I had when I learned some things about my own family. As I shared with you last week and have talked about many times before, my mother's side of the family has this 200-year almost tradition of gathering in West Tennessee for a week of Methodist camp meeting. And we sing the songs of the faith, we go to church twice a week, Uh, Twice a day, and then on that Saturday morning, we gather in the cemetery for the Heritage Walk. And my cousin Susu leads us in a time of remembering. We hear excerpts of the journals of our ancestors and how they came to that part of the country and how they were converted to Methodism by Francis Asbury himself. And we hear stories of the examples of their faith and their goodness and their generosity. And I've always treasured these stories of my family. And so many of them are are inspiring and faith inspiring. And then it was when I was an adult. I learned that there was another cemetery. About a quarter of a mile down the gravel road. And some of the tombstones in that cemetery also have the name Taylor not because it was a name they chose, but because they were enslaved by my ancestors. And so now they and their descendants, even until today, are buried in that cemetery. That is their family cemetery. And once again, I I discover these stories that had been on the margins. And as I have lived with one story, Now, my eyes and ears have been opened to other stories that have gone alongside, that have also been part of that history. And how do I process that and hear those stories and integrate them into my own? It happened recently, about six months ago. When I first came to West End and I heard the story about how this congregation had worked so hard to build a Methodist witness in this part of Nashville, and how the first part of the building was completed in the late 20s, but the depression hit, and it wasn't until 1940 that this beautiful sanctuary was built and opened for worship. It's a glorious story about how hard the church members worked and how much they gave and saved, and there's so much to celebrate in that story. And a few months ago, someone sent me the article that was in the Tennessean on that day in 1940, announcing the opening worship service of this congregation. And it named all of the people who would be preaching and teaching, the bishop, the district superintendent, pastors from other denominations. And then there was a sentence that said, Negroes, especially those who helped to build the building and the household servants of church members will be seated in the gallery, in the balcony, separate. And I hear that story, and my eyes are opened and my heart is broken, and I remember that that is part of our history. And I tell these stories As the story of Hagar encourages me to do, not to shame and not to blame, but to speak them out loud, to name them as part of our history, to confess that, yes, this happened in our past. These are some of the things that our ancestors and spiritual ancestors participated in, to confess them before God and one another. And to repent and lament, ask God and one another for forgiveness and commit ourselves to a new kind of future where no one is separated. And how does that speak to this moment that we're in? Are there still ways that we have people who can come into this sanctuary but still can't get married here, still cannot serve communion here, What can we learn from our past that leads us further and further into God's justice and kingdom? The story of Hagar is an invitation to open ourselves more and more to the story of God. Because you see, that's the good news in Hagar's story. It's a heartbreaking, gut-wrenching story when we hear it. And yet, we can look to the activity and work and character of God who is revealed in this story. Even after Abraham and Sarah have behaved so unjustly and without love and compassion toward Hagar and her little boy, God continues to work with them. Isaac is still the one who carries the covenant and the particular role that God has called that family to. God goes out into the wilderness and finds Hagar and reveals to her a well of fresh water and says to her, I will make a great nation of your son Ishmael also. I will watch over him. He's mine too. God goes out and claims Hagar and Ishmael and Sarah and Abraham. None of them are perfect And as we walk through the book of Genesis, we're going to continue to see how the family of God is imperfect and dysfunctional and in conflict and how they hurt one another. And yet God continues to work on them and in them and through them. And so it is that God is still at work in all of us, in our story, in every story And then perhaps the most beautiful piece of good news that comes from this story. A few chapters later, when Abraham dies, both of his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, bury their father together. They stand in the same cemetery because they are family. We are family. And every story matters. And God is with us and will never give up on weaving us together into one beautiful family. Let us participate in that beautiful work. Amen.